Well, hello, everyone, and welcome into the Above the Rim podcast, where we talk nothing but the hottest topics in the NBA. I am your host, Tyler, here, and it is Tuesday, December 15th, and of course, that means we are one week away from the tip-off of the 2020-2021 season. I cannot believe it has happened that quickly, but due to COVID and everything that happened last season, it is here in just under about two months, or just over about two months, excuse me. So exciting things going on here. And of course, there's no better time, I thought, with the bombshell news dropping today that Giannis has signed an extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. Finally, we do not have to wait anymore. Giannis has signed a five-year extension, so today is a great day for me to give you my Eastern Conference preview for the season and really tell you who I think is the favorite out of the East and really what to expect out of each of these teams in the Eastern Conference. So we have a ton to get into today, and let's just get this thing started. You just heard me allude to it. So that is exactly the team we will start with today. They were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year, and that would be the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo signing the max contract extension for five years, $228 million, I believe. Let me just check to make sure. Yep, $228 million for Giannis. It is the biggest contract in NBA history for the two-time reigning MVP. So that is great news for the Bucks. I know me and a lot of other people, and certainly probably the Milwaukee Bucks, were a little on eggshells or walking on eggshells because they were just waiting and waiting for this thing to get done. They had until Monday to do it, and here we are. It is done. But what does that mean overall for the Milwaukee Bucks? I am happy for Giannis, but... Are the Milwaukee Bucks the favorite in the East this year? Let's just go into that because there's been two years in a row now. They have been the number one seed, but have fallen short of making the NBA Finals. And Giannis has been heavily scrutinized for it. So is this the year that they can get it done? And if you're asking me, I think it's a bit of a long shot. I think in order for the Bucks to really make the finals this year, Giannis has got to take the next step, and I'm sure he will. I am just not sure it'll happen this year after a shortened offseason, after we just saw him two months ago, and he wasn't able to do the things that he needed to do to get his team past the Miami Heat. I just have a hard time believing in such a short amount of time that he has improved his game that much that the Bucks should be considered the favorites. Now, just because I don't consider them the favorites going into next year, that does not mean they are not a championship contender. Obviously, they are. It all is going to depend on what Giannis has done with his game in the offseason, if you know what I'm saying. Now, if you look at their key acquisition acquisition of the year, excuse me, that would be none other than Drew Holiday. And of course, that is a great acquisition. But when you look at what they had to give up, I believe they gave them two first-round picks for him. That's a steep price to pay for a Drew Holiday, who is a good player, mind you, but I don't believe he's that much better than Eric Bledsoe was for this team. And because of that, I just can't catapult this team to the forefront of the Eastern Conference. And that's not to say that they're not going to have a good season because they're going to have a good season. I believe they're probably going to finish with the best record again because Giannis is young, Giannis plays every night, and he plays minutes every night, and he gives it 
every time he's out there. So because of that alone, the Bucks will probably be the top seed in the East because they'll have the best record. Plus, you got things like, you know, the Nets. You don't know what they're going to do with Kevin Durant. How much rest is he going to get throughout the season? And same with Kyrie. And the 76ers, you don't know really what to expect from them and so on and so forth. So because of that, we all know the Bucks and Mike Budenholzer are a great regular season team. They've proved it the last two years. I would expect nothing less for them this year. And honestly, Giannis getting this thing signed is huge for them and their potential this year. Because like I said in past podcasts, if he did not sign this deal before the season started, this season for the Milwaukee Bucks had a big chance of being a disaster because this was going to be a heavy distraction for the team. You already heard Giannis earlier this week talk about how his teammates for his birthday all gave him pens to sign his contract with. So you can see already his team was thinking about this deal before the season even started. So it was already basically a distraction. And when you look at that and you look at the NBA season starting up, that would not be good for the Bucs. So I think it is definitely better for the Bucs title hopes that they got this done early and that there's not going to be that cloud hanging over the Milwaukee Bucks all season long of whether or not Giannis is going to stay or if he will choose to go after the season's over. So that is big news for the Milwaukee Bucks. And for that, I do think they will finish with the number one seed. That's what I would bet on. But we all know just because you finish with the number one seed does not mean you're going to make the championship or does not mean you're going to make the finals. And there's just a few glowing problems with this team. Let's just start out with number one. Chris Middleton, to me, is more of a three than he is a two, if you know what I'm saying. He is more of a third best player on a championship team than a second best player. Now, he did play good in the bubble a few of those games against the Miami Heat when Giannis was gone for a little bit. So you do have to give him that. But when you're looking at Chris Middleton, do you really believe that he can be the second best player on a championship team? And my answer is no, because hell, if we don't think Paul George can be that, then I certainly don't think Chris Middleton could be that. It doesn't mean he's not a nice player. He's a very good player, and he fits with Giannis, but he is more of a third-best player than a second-best player. Now let's move to number two. This team's depth is questionable. It really is compared to other seasons. Now, I think the Milwaukee Bucks really lost a big chance at the title when they got rid of Malcolm Brogdon. I really believe that they should have tried everything in their power to keep him. They should have paid over the tax, whatever they needed to do, because he gave them a sixth man and he gave them depth, which right now you look at their depth. It's not it's not really there. I mean, they have players like Pat Connaughton, Dante Givincenzo, who might start. And then you got like Bobby Portis. So when you look at their bench, it is not a a stellar bench. I mean, there's nobody on that bench you can really look at to really go get you a bucket when you need it. And obviously in the playoffs, that's going to hurt this team, and it has in the past as well. So I don't like their bench. And then another thing I don't like about the Milwaukee Bucks is their coaching. Now we all know Coach Bud, he's going to have a great plan in the regular season. And like I said, they'll probably finish with the number one seed. They'll have a great record. No doubt about that. But when it comes to the postseason, I have seen Coach Bud get outcoached two years in a row. The first year being to Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors, and then the second year being last year to Eric Spolster and the Miami Heat. So I think I am right to have some questions about Coach Bud. He does not make the proper adjustments when they are needed. And this year, due to the lack of depth, he's not going to be able to make the adjustments that he needs to make. 
I told you guys last year in the playoffs that the adjustment the Bucks need to make is they need to play Giannis at center. You need to get him low post touches. You need to get him touches close to the basket, and you need to put him in positions where he can catch lobs and alley-oops and everything of that nature. That is where he is most effective. That is where he can dominate a basketball game. Well, due to the Bucks' lack of depth again this year, Coach Bud's not going to be able to do that, so the Bucks are going to really have to rely on Giannis to take that next step in his game. And that's my next problem is it's just been too short too short of a time frame for Giannis to really make the strides necessary for this Bucks team to make the finals because Giannis is going to need to get an offensive go-to move, which he still does not have. He's going to need to be able to knock down a good percentage of his threes, which he's gotten better. I will give him that. He's gotten a lot better, but a good percentage, that seems like it needs another year or two of work in the offseason for him to reach that height. And when teams can just build a wall to stop you, that's an easy game plan for opposing coaches to come up with, especially if they have the personnel like you saw with the Raptors and like you saw with the Miami Heat. If you have that personnel, it's an easy game plan to come up with. And if Giannis is still not at the point in his game where he's skilled enough to beat that, it's going to be a problem. We saw it with LeBron James. LeBron James did not get over the hump until he learned how to hit jumpers, until he learned how to score when teams packed the paint. And that's a big thanks to Greg Popovich, because if you remember those finals against the Spurs, he would pack the paint and he would say, all right, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to make jump shots, you're going to have to make the mid-range, and you're going to have to make a three. Which, to LeBron's credit, he got better and he did. But with Giannis... We just haven't seen enough, in my opinion, for us to believe right now that he is there. And for that, I can't pick the Bucks to come out of the East. I can't. Now, do I think they're a top three team? I do. I really do. But do I think that they can come out of the East? I don't. And my last big, big problem with the Bucks is they had a whole offseason to address this, and they didn't, and they still don't have a closer. In the fourth quarter, when the game is tight, when you know what is tight, who is going to score the ball on this team? Giannis has shown that he can't do it the past two years. And like I said, until we see it, we can't really believe it. We all know that Chris Middleton is a better three than a two. And we all know that Drew Holiday just isn't. He's a good offensive player, but he's not that kind of offensive player. So when you look at the, all of those things combined, who is this team's closer? Who are you going to throw the ball to and say, we need a bucket? Nothing's working on offense, so we just need our guys to just go out there, create, and get a bucket. Who can do that on this team? And I would argue right now, the way they're constructed, nobody. And because of that, I just can't see them making the NBA Finals. And because of that, I think it's going to be another disappointing season for Giannis and the Bucks. I really do. That's why it is very, very amazing to me that Giannis signed this deal. I did not expect him to sign it because I just didn't see how the Bucks got better this offseason. Now, do I think they got a little better? Sure. But they're not a legit championship contender in my eyes. I'm not picking them to the finals. I don't see it unless something weird happens throughout the season, like injuries and all of that. Unless something like that happens, I just don't foresee them getting to the NBA finals because the blueprint on how to beat them has been there the last two years. 
and teams are just going to keep on doing it in the playoffs. So Giannis is going to have to take that next step, and it'll be interesting to see if he has this year. But like I said, I can't really believe it until I see it. And with Giannis signing the five-year Supermax contract, it's good for the Bucks because now they have time. They have time to build a winner. There would have been a ton of pressure on this team if Giannis had decided to decline signing the Supermax this year. A ton of pressure. But now what this does is allow the organization the time that they need to probably build a winner here because it's going to take more pieces than what they currently have in place. And honestly, I think they might need to move some pieces just to bring new pieces in because I'm not quite sure the pieces that they have right now are good enough to get to the NBA Finals. And even if they were good enough to get to the NBA Finals, are we really looking at this team and really thinking that they have a legit chance to win the NBA Finals? To me, right now, the answer is no. But that's why it's good news for the Bucks. They have time. Time is on their side to get this thing done. And it's just a big loss. I've said it before, and I've say it, I'll say it again. It is a big loss to have lose to have lost Bogdanovich in that trade. Bogdanovich is one of those individuals that I feel like could have changed the season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Just because of his deadly outside shooting, he is a great offensive weapon. And if you have him in your starting lineup with Chris Middleton, it becomes a lot harder for teams to pack the paint on Giannis. Right now, teams pack the paint on Giannis because there's really nobody else on that team they're afraid that can beat them. But you add in some great three-point shooters, and that story starts to change a little bit. So certainly will be interesting to see, but I think the Bucs, they're a top three team in the East. I will say that I do think that they are better than the Heat, and that's a little bit surprising to some probably, considering that the Heat beat them in the playoffs last year. But to me, going into this year, I think they are better than the Heat, but I only think they're a top three team. I don't think they're in the top two. I don't think they're the top two contenders. We'll get into those later, but it'll be interesting to see what the Bucks do this season and really the growth that Giannis has going into this season, if any. I mean, it is hard to work on your game when you only have about two months. So he has that working against him. But I like his competitive spirit. I like his pride. Obviously, he's loyal. That's why he stayed with the Bucks. And he even tweeted out that this is my city. I like all of that. I think him staying is actually good for the NBA because I think the NBA needs these small market teams to be relevant. I don't think the NBA only needs big market teams to be relevant. That's what makes the NBA a little bit boring at times, according to some viewers. But having Milwaukee be a great team for the next five years is good for the NBA. The only thing I will caution, though, is I saw a lot of people on Twitter and on Facebook today saying that they're just really glad that Giannis decided to stay in Milwaukee. They're glad that someone finally showed some loyalty. And that's all good and dandy. But I will tell you, folks, that it is us, the fans and the media, that get on these guys when they don't win a championship. So all that happiness that you're spewing out right now for the NBA that he stayed in Milwaukee, I hope it stays that way. And I hope in a few years, if Giannis hasn't won anything, I hope the conversation doesn't turn to Giannis as a failure. He might be the next Charles Barkley, like we've seen with James Harden, because that's what we do. When players move to go win championships, we hate it. 
But then when they stay and don't win championships, we just rag on them all day. So it kind of seems like there's a no-win situation sometimes for these players, and we'll see how this one plays out for sure. But that's how I see the Bucks season play out, and that is my preview for the Milwaukee Bucks going into this season. And now let's move on to the team that took the Bucks out of the playoffs last season, and that would be the Miami Heat, the defending Eastern Conference champions. So what do I think the season has in store for them, and what are my expectations for the Miami Heat? You already heard me say it, so I do think the Bucks will be better than the Miami Heat. And obviously I said the Bucks were in the top three of the East, in my opinion, so where does that leave the Heat for me? I think right now, currently constructed, currently constituted, I think the Miami Heat are the fourth team, the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference, excuse me, and... There's a few reasons for that. I think one of the biggest reasons is I told you all a while back that the NBA executives believed that the Miami Heat's title run was a bit flukish because of the bubble and everything of that nature. And I would be lying if I sat here and told you all that I didn't kind of agree. There's just something about this team that I can't get fully behind. I don't know if it's because I think Jimmy Butler's just not that guy. I think he's someone who had an outstanding playoff run. But do I really think Jimmy Butler is that guy? I don't. And also, I look at their other stars, like Tyler Hero, which I believe last season in the playoffs, he did not have a game where he didn't score in double figures. I mean, unless you're telling me Tyler Hero is like the second coming of like Devin Booker, which I've heard some people say, if you're telling me that, well then, hey, the Heat are in business. But as currently constituted, I just don't believe that Tyler Hero is that. I think he also just had a great playoff run, which we see from teams from time to time. Look, teams have amazing playoff runs. It's a part of the game. It's a part of sports. It's why we love it. Teams have great runs, but that doesn't mean that the run's going to continue. And this year for the Miami Heat, that's just kind of how I feel. I feel like Bam Adebayo needs to get better. Is he good? Yes. Is he a good building block for this team? Is he the heart and soul of the Miami Heat? Yes and yes. But does his game need to grow and improve before I'm ready to call them the favorites coming out of the East right now? It does. And... I will take the approach of let me see them do it again. Because I just don't think that they will. It's not that I don't think that they can. I just really have a hard time believing that they will. And Duncan Robinson, he had a great playoffs as well, but he doesn't play a lick of defense. And if that shot's not falling, he's pretty much useless out on the court. He doesn't pass well. He doesn't defend well. All he does is shoot. So if he's not shooting well, he's a liability on the court because teams will pick him out on defense and attack him. He's kind of like a Kyle Korver type of guy. If he cannot hit a three, he's pretty, you can't play him. Now he looked so good last year because he was hitting all of his threes. Now let's see if he can do that again this year. And what I'm saying is I just don't think it's in the cards. Now, one thing that he do have working for them, they have one of the best coaches in the NBA. And I think he proved it last season. And I think a lot of people need to start putting some respect on Eric Spolstra's name. In my opinion, he does not get enough respect, not only around the league, but around the media as well and around the fans. Eric Spolstra is quite possibly a top three coach in the NBA. 
And there's no question about it. No question about it. But I'm not going to apologize because I think that last year's title run for the Miami Heat or last year's finals run was a little fluky. I do. I mean, they ran in the Giannis, which, you know, that they did beat the number one seed, but we all knew that Giannis had limitations going into it, and the Raptors proved it two years ago. So the Heat basically just followed the same game plan and did that. And we all know, yes, the Miami Heat did beat the Celtics, but you all know how I feel about the Celtics. Jason Tatum, to me right now, isn't that guy yet. He's going to be, but as of right now, he's not that guy yet. And if he was that guy, I think the Celtics would have beat the Heat as well. So there's a lot of things that are interesting about the Miami Heat. I just don't think that they can catch lightning in a bottle twice. And I think that's really what they did last year is catch lightning in a bottle. Not to mention, I think losing Drake Jay Crowder is a big loss for the Miami Heat. It really is. Avery Bradley is a nice addition, but when you're talking about Jay Crowder, he's someone that just shot the ball lights out from three in the playoffs last year. I believe he was over 40%, which is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And you also add in the fact that he is a big body, which is a big part of the reason why that wall for Miami worked against the honest. He's a big guy. When you look at his replacement, Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley is not a big guy, so I think they kind of downgraded at that position, and I don't think he'll be as good as Jay Crowder was for that team. So because of all those reasons, I have the Heat right now going into the season as the fourth best team out of the East, which is kind of odd to say considering they just made the NBA Finals. But who knows? I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again, and maybe this is one of those instances, but I am just not a big believer that the Heat can catch lightning in a bottle twice, essentially. But like I said, we'll see. And with that, we move on to who I have as my fifth best team in the East going into the season. We already talked about three, the Milwaukee Bucks. We already talked about four, the Miami Heat. Now it is time to talk about five, which is another team, ironically, that the Miami Heat beat in last year's playoffs. And that is the Boston Celtics. Yes, I do have them as the fifth best team going into this season in the Eastern Conference. And there's a few reasons because of that. I know a lot of you might be looking at me like, dang, fifth best team? You're really just a Celtic hater. You're really just a Jason Tatum hater. And the answer to that is I'm not. I'm really not. There's just some things about this team I just don't really like. And number one, let's just start out with it right off the top. Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is a good player, but just the last few seasons, he's had some injury problems, and then now we find out that he's going to miss a good portion of the of the start of the season this year, so that's not very good for the Celtics. And he's also a defensive liability, which we saw in the playoffs last year when he was trying to guard Gordon Dragic, who had just a career playoff year. When you look at all those things and take that into consideration, and the fact that they lost Gordon Hayward, who... I'll remind you folks, was a, an important player for this team last year. He wasn't just a scrub. No, I believe he averages about 17 a game last year. He was a good player for the Celtics last year, and he fit in with that team. So losing him is going to be big for them, I think. And I just think in order for this team to really put themselves in the contender conversation, Jason Tatum has got to take that leap. And Jalen Brown. It's not just Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown has got to take that leap. 
And I know a lot of people love Jason Tatum. I do too. He's young. He's got game. He's got handles. He's got game. He's got a sweet outside stroke. He was 6'8". Now they have him listed at 6'10". I don't know if we all should believe that or not because it seems kind of odd to me that he grew two inches over the offseason. That was only like two months. I don't know. You'll have to tell me what you think on that. But in order for the Celtics to be who they want to be, Tatum and Brown have got to become one of the best duos in the NBA, which I just don't see next year. Now, if you want to talk about the year after this year, all right, I might be with you. I will be with you if we're talking about next year. But this year, I don't see it mainly because, like I said, we just saw these guys two months ago. How much better can you really get in that amount of time? And Jason Tatum, like him, love him, or hate him, he did have some mess-ups, some blunders in the playoffs. He did. His youth shone. That's basically what happened in the playoffs. That's basically what I saw. He had a lot of late-game mistakes, a lot of ugly plays late game, and he's growing into the player that he's going to need to become for the Celtics to be a legit contender. But when you got teams out there like the Bucks with Giannis and the Miami Heat who just beat them last year, it is hard for me to put the Celtics above those two teams because that's just not where I see them right now, especially when you have a point guard with injury problems and who doesn't play defense. Really, I mean, this team might have a little bit of problem with some defense. Now, they did get Tristan Thompson, which I think is going to be a big help for them because one of the things they were lacking is some serious length, and that's that's what they got with Tristan Thompson. He's a lengthy guy, and he's going to be a guy that's going to give them 100% every single night on the offensive glass, on the defensive glass. So that's a great pickup for the Boston Celtics. It really is. And for that, they might be... They're going to be in the hunt. That's why I have them in the top five. They might finish above the top five. Who knows? Obviously, they're young. So when you talk about load management and this season being 72 games in a short amount of time and everything of that nature coming off of last season just two months ago, obviously, the Boston Celtics could have their guys play a lot more than some of these other teams with veterans. So that could catapult them inside the top four for the regular season, but when you're talking about championship contenders, I have them as my Eastern Conference number five for all the reasons I just listed, and I could be dead wrong. Jason Tatum could make that step this year, and I really do think he's going to make that step. I do. I just don't think it's going to be this year. I I would venture to believe it's going to be next year rather than this year, and same with Jalen Brown, although, although, this might surprise you folks, I do think Jalen Brown this season could be in the running for most improved player of the year. And if he is, well, then the Celtics could be a very dangerous team. No doubt about it. But dangerous is a lot different than, you know, championship favorites. And that's where I think we have to look at the two. You know, they're going to be a dangerous team, obviously. They always are. Brad Stevens is a great coach. Danny Ainge is a great owner or team president. I don't know if he's the owner or team president. Either way, he's great at what he does. And same with Brad Stevens. So they're going to be a team you have to pay attention to. But as far as picking them to make the finals, they would probably be my fifth pick in the Eastern Conference. And until I see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum really take the big, big leap next season together, that's just where I'm going to have them. 
So now we've talked about who I believe will be the third, fourth, and fifth best teams in the East. I'll say it again, third being the Bucks, fourth being the Heat, and fifth being the Celtics. And I know a lot of you now are wondering, who do I have as my top two teams in the East? Who do I have as the top two teams that will be competing to make the NBA Finals? And to me, let's just start with probably the most intriguing and interesting team going into this season, and that would be the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, I do think the Brooklyn Nets will be a top two team in the Eastern Conference, and if you watch their preseason game, I don't know how you can think otherwise at this point. They looked very sharp. Now, they didn't play Russell West. They didn't play the Wizards, so let me say that first, but they didn't play Russell Westbrook, and Bradley Beal wasn't in there, and a couple other guys weren't in there for the Wizards, so you couldn't really get a good look at them, but what I did see from them was, hey, uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, they're going to work together. That duo might work together better than LeBron and Kyrie. And I can say that with a little confidence, knowing that Kevin Durant is a better outside shooter than LeBron, and knowing that Kevin Durant is probably a little bit closer to Kyrie than LeBron was. So, because of those reasons alone, this team is going to be a team to be reckoned with in the East. And this is the team in the Eastern Conference that everyone's been waiting to see, right? Is it not? And one of the things that I wanted to look at in the preseason was Kevin Durant. How did he look? How was he moving? Was there a bit of a mental scare in terms of can he get over the mental hurdle of the Achilles injury? And from what I saw, yeah, check. He got over all of it. He looked good. Now, I think he finished like 5 for 12, which isn't that great, but... When you look at how he moved and the things that he did, it was still very Kevin Durant-esque. You did not look at him and think, ooh, you know, I think he might have lost a step. No, his first playback was a dunk, and it was a nice dunk, and then he ripped the net on a nice jumper. He had a few nice jumpers, actually. And then I saw him take someone to the hole and do his padded one-leg fadeaway. So Kevin Durant, to me, from what I saw, is going to be very similar to the Kevin Durant we've seen last, which was one of the best players in the league, and I would even rank him as the second best player in the league behind LeBron James. And when you take all those things into consideration, this Nets team has an opportunity to be very, very dangerous, and that's why I have them as my number two team. Now, you might be wondering, wow, you know, you've been really high on Kevin Durant all offseason long. You've been really high on the Nets. Why are they only your number two? There's a few reasons for this, but number one, let's just go into number one because it's the obvious one. It's the chemistry problem with the Brooklyn Nets. I think that Kyrie's attitude, coupled with the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie has let it be known that he kind of wants to be traded for a while now, and then couple that onto the fact that Karis LeVert will probably be coming off the bench, and we don't really know how he feels about that. You put all those things together, and it has an opportunity to become sort of a mess. We saw what happened with the Clippers last year, and everyone thought, oh, you know, it's Kawhi, it's Paul George. Everyone's just going to get along. Everyone's going to seem kumbaya. It's just going to be great. The whole season long, it's going to be great. No matter who plays, no matter how many games, it's going to be great. And we saw what happened. 
So I would caution people when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets because we've seen Kyrie talk about how he doesn't want to talk to the media. Now, he did actually come out and talk to the media the other day, so it looks like that's kind of ended. But I was a little concerned when I first heard that because I was like, all right, bro, like if you're not going to talk to the media, when you guys fail and you're not at the microphone, you want to know what they're going to be asking all of your teammates is where's Kyrie? Why isn't he at the microphone? And that's a distraction. So I was worried that that would be a distraction. But since Kyrie has since talked to the media, maybe I should not be worried anymore. But just due to the fact of who I know Kyrie to be, Kyrie is a problem when it comes to team chemistry. Let's just call it what it is. When it comes to basketball skills, nobody has the handle that Kyrie does. And few players are as offensively gifted as Kyrie Irving in the NBA. I will say that 100%. But when it comes to team chemistry, this man is not good at building team chemistry. We heard it with the Boston Celtics when they all said, hey, you know, we really didn't like playing with Kyrie. As good as he was, we really didn't like the mood swings. We just really didn't like playing with him. And you wonder if some of that will wear off on the Nets. Now, we know it's not going to wear off on Kevin Durant. Obviously, those two are very close. They are boys. I would say I would go out on the limb and say that they might even be the second closest duo in the NBA with the first being LeBron and AD. I really would. I do think they have a very close relationship. Obviously, otherwise, they would not be playing together. Otherwise, Kevin Durant would not have left the situation in Golden State to go be with Kyrie in Brooklyn. So you know the bond there, the chemistry there is special. You know that. So when it comes to chemistry between Kyrie and Kevin Durant, yeah, I don't worry about that. What I worry about is chemistry between Kyrie and the other players, like a Spencer Dinwiddie, a Jarrett Allen, and a Karis LeVert. Because one thing Kyrie has shown throughout his career is that he has a hard time getting along with young players. Just look at the Boston Celtics and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and all those boys. He has a hard time connecting with those guys. And where it could become a problem to me is where Spencer Dinwiddie, we already know, has want out of Brooklyn for a while. He wants a bigger role. So those two things, really, when I look at them, do not match up very well. And they certainly don't bode well for the team. And I do think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be with the team, frankly, because I do not think their trade package, whatever they can muster up, is really good enough for the Houston Rockets to give away James Harden. If the Brooklyn Nets are not going to get James Harden, then this is likely the team that they're going to roll with all season long. And it is a talented, talented team. I will give you that. But we'll move into my number two problem of why I don't have them as my number one team going into the season in the East. Number two would be, who is going to play defense on this team? I mean, you look around the squad, There is not a lot of good defenders. And when you're talking about teams like the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, and another team I'm about to talk about, the Philadelphia 76ers, one thing all of those teams do is really compete and play very good defense. Also, they're lengthy. I'm looking at the Nets. They don't have much length. They don't have much girth. They don't play much defense. And because of that, I think throughout the season, you're going to see two sides of the Nets. You're going to see the Nets that look really good, 
on some nights, ooh, those shots are going to be falling for everybody, for Kyrie, for Kevin, for Karis LeVert, for Spencer Dinwiddie. They are going to be falling for everybody, and you're going to sit back and say, damn, the Nets are really good. I think the Nets are going to make the finals. And there's also going to be nights when they run into a defensive team where they're going to get smashed, and we're going to be thinking, oh, man, I don't know about the Nets. I'm not sure. Maybe we overrated them a little bit. I think there really is going to be two sides to the Nets all season. But because of the fact that they got Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I do pick them to be my second-best team in the East, mainly because I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie, are they better than Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo? Come on. <laughs> really? Are we even having that conversation? No. Next. Are they better than Drew Holiday and Giannis? Yep. I would say they're better than Drew Holiday and Giannis. And are they better than Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Yeah, pretty easily. So because of that and because of that alone, I think they will be the second best team in the East, and that's where they land right now in my rankings. But let's move into my number three reason why I don't have him as my number one because I'm tempted to put him as my number one, but I just can't get there because of all these problems. My number three is, hey, Kevin Durant is still coming off of a torn Achilles tendon. Now, I know he looked good in the first preseason game, and I'll even admit he looked like Kevin Durant. Yes, he did. But when you're talking about the wear and tear of this whole season, a 72-game season crunched up like the way it is, it's just it, it's a lot to ask of Kevin Durant to lead this team to the finals, which he will have to do. Kyrie's great, but anybody with basketball knowledge knows that Kyrie is not the leader of this team, and he's not going to be. The leader of this team is going to be Kevin Durant. And that's why, to me, the Nets have a better shot next season of winning the championship and making it to the finals than they do this season. Mainly because, hey, it is a really tough ask. It's a tough ask coming off an Achilles for someone. It's a tough for you to ask them if they can be the same player. I know I got a little word tied there, but it's a tough question if they can even become the same player. Now, not only are you asking Kevin to do that, but you're also asking him to lead the team to a championship or to a championship appearance. And I know a lot of people think the East is weak, but the East has gotten better. It's gotten a lot better. And I just don't see that happening for the Brooklyn Nets. Not this season. It is a lot to ask of Kevin Durant, no matter how good he looked. And he didn't just look good on the offensive end in the preseason opener. Oh, no. He looked really good on the defensive end, which I'm surprised not a lot of people are talking about. He had a spring on his step, and he was blocking shots, and he looked really good on defense. And I know they said he's going to play some center this year. I don't know about all that, but hey, he definitely has the length to do so. All I'm saying is that it is going to be a really tough ask off of that type of injury to ask him to do that. Now, we did see it in the WNBA, though. I will say that. Brianna Stewart, we all remember her. She went down with the torn Achilles, and then she came back and led her team to the championship. So we've seen it before. All I'm saying, if you were a betting man, would you bet if it was more likely that Durant leads his team to the championship or more likely that he doesn't this season? I would definitely lean on the side of more likely that he doesn't. And now we move into my last concern about the Brooklyn Nets and why I don't have them as my number one. My last concern would be Steve Nash as a head coach. And frankly, Mike D'Antoni as an assistant, because we all know Mike D'Antoni. That guy ain't in the defense. And what did I already tell you is my big concern about this team is they do not have any good defenders. 
I mean, seriously, look across the roster. Who's stopping anybody on this team? I want you to tell me. If you want to say Kevin Durant, I'll agree with you, but that's it, man. DeAndre Jordan is not the same defender he was a few years ago. No way, no how. So when you look at this roster, who's stopping anybody? That's going to be the Achilles heel, no pun intended, about this team, is who is going to stop anybody? And when you add coaches in there like Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, who Steve Nash as a player, we all know didn't play much defense. And then you add in Mike D'Antoni as an assistant coach, we all know he does not focus on defense. You add all those things together, and it just seems weird. It's a weird fit to me. I do think it'll work, but it's just weird. It's odd, and I just don't see how this team... I do see how they can make the finals, so I will retract a little bit. If they made the NBA Finals and you're asking me, would I be shocked? Hell no, I wouldn't be shocked. But if you're asking me right now, right here, right now, before the season starts, if I would bet on them to make the Finals, I'm sorry, I can't get there. I really can't. And also a big part of that would be, hey, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, what are, what's their plans with Kevin Durant? How much is he going to play this year? Same with Kyrie. Those are two injury-riddled guys. I'll, my, I'll remind you folks. So what is their plan going to be this season with those two guys? Are they going to load manage? Are they not going to play back-to-backs? Are they going to be minutes restricted? These are all things we don't know the answers to, and we will get some clarity in a week from today when they play the Warriors. So some things to look forward to, but if you're asking me right now, are the Nets in the top two teams of the East, and would I be shocked if they made the finals? Yes, they are in the top two teams, and no, I would not be shocked if they make the finals. They certainly have the talent. If you look at them across the board, they might have the most talent in the Eastern Conference. But as we all saw last year, talent is not the only thing that's going to get the job done. It comes down to chemistry, it comes down to coaching, and it comes down to defense as well. And when you add all those things together, I just have a hard time believing that the Nets will make it out of the East into the NBA Finals. But hey... I'm certainly happy to see KD back. I really hope you guys are too because I think the NBA needs him. And I would love nothing more. Believe me. I want nothing more than a Nets and Laker finals. I just don't foresee that happening this season. And with that, it is time to get into my number one ranked team in the Eastern Conference going into this season. And I think you all are going to be shocked. I obviously was very shocked when I thought about it, but when I think about everything, it makes sense to me. It makes a little more sense to me than maybe you guys, but my number one team going into the Eastern Conference this year is the Philadelphia 76ers I think I am backed into picking them almost by default just because like I said I just I think it's a tough tough ask above all else with the problems with the Nets I think it's just a really tough ask to ask Kevin Durant to get that team to the finals in his first year back from the Achilles I really do and because of that when I look across the Eastern Conference I don't have much faith in the Milwaukee Bucks because of what I've seen I don't have much faith in the Heat because there's just something missing. But when I look at all the offseason additions and everything of that nature, the Philadelphia 76ers really stand out to me. And 
There's a few reasons why. Obviously, there are some concerns there as well. But there is really a few reasons why I like the Philadelphia 76ers going into the season. Number one, Doc Rivers. For all of the hate that Doc Rivers has gotten, I think he is an outstanding coach. And one thing I think he does really well is coach big men. We saw what he did with Blake Griffin, and we saw what he did with Kevin Garnett. Now, we all know Kevin Garnett was that guy before Doc Rivers even got a hold of him, but he knows how to utilize the bigs to their strengths. And I think he will do the same here with Joel Embiid. I am predicting that Joel Embiid has a career year. I am. Joel Embiid is a special talent, and when he decides to be, he is one of the best bigs in the league. He can match Anthony Davis. And when he decides to be, he is the best center in the NBA. I love Jokic. I know a lot of people who love Jokic as well. Jokic is one of the most skilled players in the NBA, hands down. It's not even close. But when you're talking about talent, Joel Embiid's more talented than Jokic. Not on the offensive end, but what makes Joel Embiid more talented is the defensive end. And that is really why I'm going all in on the Sixers this year. I thought about this for days. I can't even tell you how many nights has kept me up thinking about who's my favorite out of the East. I really can't because it's tough. It is tough. I mean, you got the Nets there. You got the Heat. You got the Bucks. And you got the Celtics. But the 76ers, to me, this year are going to have a breakout year. And if you're Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if not now, when? Because simply, if you don't get it done now, Ben Simmons is going to be on his way to Houston for James Harden. And if that were to happen before the trade deadline, then guess what? I would still have Philadelphia as my favorites out of the East. So <laughs> so I guess that's that's the good thing about all this. But I do think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid will work this year, and I think Doc Rivers is going to make a way or find a way to make it work. One big problem that I had with Brett Brown the last few seasons is that he just seemed like he didn't make any adjustments. It just seemed like he was set in his ways. And maybe it was a personnel issue because one of the biggest reasons why I'm picking the 76ers to make the finals this year is the personnel's changed. They have changed their personnel to fit the strengths of Ben Simmons. And we all know Ben Simmons is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands most of the time. So what you want to do is build a team around his strengths. And what is he good at? He's good at driving the lane. He's good at kicking out. So what did they do? Well, Daryl Morey went out and he got Seth Curry, one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. And then he went out and got Danny Green, who is not only a great three-point shooter, but he's also a great defender, which I think is what this Philadelphia team is going to hang their hat on. One of the things when you look at Ben Simmons, I know he gets a lot of flack for his jump shot and everything like that. I get it. I really do. I get it. I've given him the same flack, and I still will. Now, this year, I do think he will shoot it a little bit more, mainly because I think Doc Rivers has the gravitas to kind of challenge him a little more than Brett Brown. I just don't think that Ben Simmons or Embiid respected Brett Brown as much as they needed to to really go anywhere. But when you're talking about Doc Rivers, someone who's coached Hall of Famers, yeah, I think these guys are going to respect him. I think Ben Simmons is up for the challenge, mainly because, like I just said, if he's not, he's going to be in Houston. And when you're in Houston with that squad, you're, you're going to be bottom of the barrel, man. You're going to go from having championship aspirations to can we make the playoffs? And I don't think he wants to do that. I think this is a wake-up call for him. And Doc Rivers knows how to get the best out of his guys. I think he will scheme away 
for Embiid and Simmons to play well together. And I, one of the biggest false narratives in the NBA, and I even bought into it last season, was that Simmons and Embiid don't play well together. If you actually look at the numbers, they do play very well together. And it's kind of weird when you look at it because they kind of have this reputation of, you know, they don't fit together, they don't play well together. But when you actually look at the numbers closely, they do play well together. All I think the thing that's been missing, as I alluded to earlier with this team, is the personnel. Last year, you had Al Horford, which they got rid of, which I think is great for them. Now, Al Horford, he's a great player. But when you're talking about playing him with Joel Embiid, it does not work. It doesn't work. And I don't know why they thought that it would work, but getting rid of him and adding those pieces, like I said, and even bringing in a Dwight Howard, it is going to make all of the difference. Because when you're talking about the second best team in the East, like I just stated, which is the Nets to me, you're talking about all the bigs the Sixers have. This is one of the things I talk about with the Nets. They don't have enough girth. Because if they run into a team like the 76ers, they do not have enough girth. And they might just get pummeled on the boards and on defense. And because of that, I think the 76ers can make the finals. I think the 76ers are a bad matchup for the Brooklyn Nets. And if there's one thing that playoff basketball has taught us over the years, it is exactly that. It is that bad matchups mean everything in the NBA playoffs. And when just look at the just look at the Nets and the 76ers. Just look at the matchups and tell me it's bad. You got Kyrie and Ben Simmons. You got Ben Simmons who could possibly guard Kyrie. That's that's a bad matchup. I mean, I'm sorry. Kyrie is a great offensive player, but when you put length on him and you put someone as good as a defender as Ben Simmons is on him, it is going to become very difficult. And one thing I will tell everybody about Ben Simmons is you can hate on him for a lot of things, but guess what? He is a better defender than you realize. He is. We are all just waiting on him to take this thing a little more seriously. And when you're looking at a possible trade to Houston for James Harden, this could be that thing if he truly loves Philadelphia. And that's not the only mismatch the 76ers have on the Nets. Look at the inside. Now, there was a time DeAndre Jordan was very good at rebounding and playing defense. But the last few years, that has not been his game. And I love Jared Allen. I think he is a rim protector. But... When you look at his size, he's kind of scrawny. I could definitely see him getting pushed around by Embiid and Howard. So, the 76ers to me are the team, I think, with the most upside. If everything clicks like I expect it to, I think the 76ers will make the NBA Finals. And that is because I think, just looking at their roster right now, I think they're going to be one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. I really do. And it's going to be a problem for a team, mainly because the 76ers are a very lengthy team. And when you're talking about a team like the Nets with Karis LeVert and Kyrie and all that, those are small guys. Spencer Dinwiddie. That's not a lot of length there. The only length there you have is Kevin Durant, and that's the only mismatch you have. And maybe Kevin Durant, just a year removed from the Achilles injury, maybe he is still that guy. But I just think it's going to take him a year. I really do. And when I look at the 76ers, yeah, have I been hard on them? Of course I have. Everyone has because we all expect more. But when you get a guy in there like 
Doc Rivers, and then you get a GM in there like Daryl Morey, I think things will flip for this team. And also a big thing, a big underrated thing about this team is the fact that Daryl Morey's there. So you know there is going to be moves made before the trade deadline. Do not go into the season thinking that this is going to be the final product of the Philadelphia 76ers. Daryl Morey will make some moves to get this team better. And it all comes down to just if you believe in him as a GM and if you believe in Doc Rivers as a coach. If you believe in those two, then I think the Philadelphia 76ers are the pick out of the East. And I know it's surprising. It certainly surprised me. But the more I think about it, the more I really like this team because I think they have mismatch, mismatches excuse me, all over the court for all of the other teams in the East, especially the top teams. I mean... You want to go to the Heat? Look, Bam Adebayo, he's a great player, but are you taking Embiid or are you taking Adebayo? I'm going to take Embiid. I'm sorry. You look at the Celtics, Jason Tatum's a great player, but if you can stick Ben Simmons on Tatum, things become a lot harder for Tatum on the offensive end. And if Tatum's not scoring like 30 a night, it's hard for me to believe that the Celtics team is a legit contender. Move on to the Bucks. Same thing. You can put Simmons on Giannis. He is about the same length. He can guard him. And like I said, Simmons is a very underrated player. Not only that, you got Danny Green there as well. That is a team you can build a wall to stop Giannis from getting in the paint, and it can create problems for the Bucks. And like I said with the Nets, the Nets, when you look at them versus the Sixers, they're just not lengthy enough, and they're just not girthy enough. So because of all those reasons, I am expecting a breakout year from Simmons and Embiid and I think the Philadelphia 76ers, I can't believe I'm saying it. I really can't, but it's just where my head's at right now. I think the Philadelphia 76ers make the NBA Finals this season. And for that, I think that makes them the number one team going into this season for me. Out of the Eastern Conference, of course. We will see how it plays out, and I am certainly nervous about my pick, but like I told you guys, it's just something I'm feeling about the 76ers. There's just something about them that I think that they can do it this season, so we'll have to wait and see on that, and now that we got our top five of the Eastern Conference out of the way, that is not the only interesting thing to watch about the East this year. The other interesting thing to watch will be number six through eight and a big part of that is because there is a play-in tournament this season of course on both conferences so there are some teams here who maybe wouldn't be in the playoffs last year who would this year so it's going to be very interesting to watch and I actually think the bottom part of this conference is just as interesting as the top part because there are some interesting teams and let's just start out with this I'm going to rattle off my six seven and eighth teams with a ninth team looking in and my sixth team in the East that I'm looking forward this year is the Raptors. Now, this might be a little high, but I do mind you that number six, number seven, number eight, and the outside team looking in, I kind of view all of them to be a little evenly matched. And when I look at the Raptors, a big reason why I have them as number six is their coaching. Anyone who listens to the podcast, who has listened to it so far, you all know. I love me some Nick Nurse. He is one of the best coaches in the league. I like what he's about. I just like the creativity behind him. I don't think a lot of coaches nowadays are as creative as Nick Nurse is, and for that, I commend him. And I think he is a good enough coach to get this team where they need to be. 
also, they still have Kyle Lowry there. They have Pascal Siakam, who I expect to have a comeback season, especially after the disaster that he put up in the bubble. I mean, that was... Uh, I, yeah, I think he needs to have a comeback season this year, and I think he will. I think Nick Nurse will put him in positions to succeed. But also, one of the most underrated things about this team that I will tell you right now is OG Ananobi. We saw him hit the game winner against the Celtics in the playoffs from the corner three, which was sweet. But OG Ananobi is one of those guys that not only is he a growing offensive player, but he is a great defensive player. And if he continues to grow, he can become very scary. And this season, he's a big reason why I have the Raptors as my number six team in the Eastern Conference. I think he will be in the running for most improved player of the year. I do. Now, if there are some concerns about the Raptors, it certainly is the fact that they lost Serge Buck and Marcus Saul. Those are big-time pieces. They were huge to not only their title run, but to them getting the second seed last season. And because of those, their losses, that is why I do not have the Raptors even in my top five. That's why I have them as my number six, because those are big losses. I think the Clippers are going to be very happy with getting Ibaka, and I think the Lakers will be very happy with getting Gasol, even though he's getting a little bit older in age. But nonetheless, I still think the Raptors will be there, and I... I have him as my sixth best team in the East going into the season. Now, number seven and eight, that's where it gets a little interesting for me. Number seven, I have the Pacers. Um, of course, last year you're talking about a team that was number four at 45 and 28. They had a great season last year, but I just need to see more from this team. I really I don't like the fact that they got rid of Nate McMillan. I actually think he is a good coach, and he certainly gets the best out of his teams in the regular season. If you don't believe me, just look it up. He really does. But one thing that concerns me about the Pacers is Victor Oladipo. What kind of player is he? I know we saw him last year in the playoffs. He didn't really do much, but before that, he was really ascending before his injury, and now since his injury, we just don't know what kind of player he will be. So I have the Pacers as my number seven. And then my number eight seed, or my number eight team in the East, I should say, is the Washington Wizards. I do think that they will get in the playoffs just because, look, Westbrook is an outstanding regular season player. He's back with Scotty Brooks. That's, you know, that's his guy. Um, you can't really count on Westbrook in the playoffs, but when it comes to regular season play, he is one of the best. And then you add him with Bradley Beal in the Eastern Conference. I certainly think they'll be able to feast on the lower-level teams in the East. And because of that, I think they will sneak their way into the playoffs. But when you're talking about a team that could be fighting to get in, I know they're going to they're gonna have the whole play-in thing. I, we already know that. It's going to be, I think, seeds 7 through 10. So we're going to get that. But another team I would watch out for to make the playoffs would be the Atlanta Hawks. Now, I'll remind you folks that they do have Clint Capella. Trey Young is there. They did get Bogdanovich. But they also got Danilo Gallinari. So when you look at the Hawks, they have some serious, serious firepower that could win them basically any game, especially in the regular season. But you might ask why I have the Wizards in the playoffs over them, and the answer is simple. Um... Even if they do the play, and even if the Hawks and Wizards play, I think the Wizards are better, mainly because Westbrook and Beal are better than Trey Young and Bogdanovich, but also because 
I can rely on the Wizards' defense a little more than I would be able to rely on the Hawks. Now, we all know Trey Young is a very special player. He has very special abilities on the offensive end. He's very Steph Curry-like when it comes to the deep threes. But we also know that he plays little to no defense. <laughs> I mean, let's just call it what it is. And it's not because he doesn't try. It's not because of lack of effort. But it's because of his size and his strength. And because of all that, he's just he's going to have a hard time defending. And when you're looking at these East guards like Russell Westbrook and Kyle Lowry and Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Goran Dragic, Drew Holiday, Kemba Walker. I think it's going to be very hard for Trey Young to stay in front of those guys and really defend them the way that he would like and the way that the Hawks would like. And because of that, I just can't see the Hawks making the playoffs. There's certainly a hot pick around the league to get in there, but I think the Wizards are better for that reason. I think, you know, if you're asking me who can D up who, I would have more confidence that Westbrook could D up Young than Young could D up Westbrook, if you know what I'm saying. So because of those reasons, I think the Hawks will still be on the outside looking in. Another team I think will be on the outside looking in that could have a chance to be in the play-in is the Detroit Pistons. Now, they do have Derrick Rose. They do have Blake Griffin. So if those two guys can stay healthy, they also added Jeremy Grant. They could make some noise. Not like be a contender, but they could make some noise for that last playoff spot, and I certainly think that they will this year. But it'll be an interesting race, the bottom half of the East, because like I said, the bottom half of the East is interesting. The East got better. A lot of teams in the Eastern Conference got better this offseason, so I certainly cannot wait to watch them all, and I know you guys can't as well because it's going to be one of the more interesting things going into this season for sure. The Eastern Conference is a very interesting conference, and because of KD and Kyrie and everything of that nature, this year the East is a lot more interesting than it has been in years past, so... I think that is awesome for the NBA and really awesome for the whole Eastern Conference. But that is how I see the East unfolding this season. And that'll do it for today's show. Tuesday, December 15th. As I said before, the season is just a week away from tipping off. I cannot wait. And I know you all are excited as well. And do not forget, if you like the podcast, give it a follow, give it a share wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, as I've said before, I am on Facebook. Go ahead and find me. Search Above the Rim Podcast. It should be pretty easy to find. It is the same art as it has on whatever app you listen to it on. So go find that and join in on the discussion as well. I want to hear who you all think will come out of the East and who are your top five teams going in to this season in the Eastern Conference. Do you agree with me or do you disagree? I want to hear all of your opinions, but with all of that out of the way, we will see you Thursday for a preview of the Western Conference.